Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God that I'd like to study with you this morning is this one verse from Psalm 145. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. I'd like to begin with one of my favorite questions. It's agree or disagree. You can just think about it. Your life is full of prompts. When you were a kid, it certainly was, right? Because your whole life is in front of you. You could dream about being a a Disney princess or a superhero or a police officer or a firefighter or whatever you thought was really cool. As you got older, maybe your dreams changed a little bit into becoming a a professional athlete or a, a famous musician or movie star or now a YouTuber or influencer. The older you get, the more reality sets in. So then you had to start thinking about what do you really want to be when you grow up, your, your career. Maybe you started looking, as one of my professors used to call it, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Semi-Perfect, someone that you could marry. Maybe you dreamed about a family. I don't know if the dream is still 2.5 kids. I'm not sure how that ever worked anyway, but that was the dream. The house, maybe on Lake Winnicani, white picket fence, three cars, two jet skis, a dog, a cat, a ferret, and a cottage up north to boot. All kinds of dreams and hopes. How's that going for you? Is your life still full of dreams and hopes and promises or disappointment? Because that is a reality we have to face. And often our disappointment is the result of broken promises. Other people break promises to you all the time. Maybe you're still upset that when you were a kid, your parents told you that you would get to see Mickey Mouse at Disney, but you never got there. Or the coach told you that if you worked hard and you put in the time and you put in the practice, you would get a chance to play and maybe even start, but you were stuck on the sidelines. Or the teacher told you that if you put in the time and the effort, you would get the grade, but it didn't happen. Or the boss told you that if you worked hard, you would get the promotion. Maybe your husband told you that he would quit looking at those pictures, or your wife told you that she wouldn't talk to him anymore, or your kids told you they'll actually clean the bedroom this time but it fell flat. Of course, it's not just other people that break promises to us. Sometimes we're the ones making promises to our kids or our spouses or our bosses or our coaches or our friends or someone else. And even when we have the absolute best of intentions, sometimes we just can't follow through. That's even true in our relationship with God. I often wonder if it's really a good idea to take a 14-year-old child and ask them to promise to remain faithful to God even to the point of death. We call that confirmation. I'm, I'm really unsure when I'm not even sure the other person will show up the next week. You're all here, and I pray that you never had a period in life where you just completely walked away from God, though some of you have. The reality is that every single time we sin, we are unfaithful to God. We break our promise to live according to His will as His children. 
And as we've all experienced, broken promises creates disappointment, but with God, it can actually lead to hell. Today, we get to learn that God is different than we are. The Lord is faithful to every promise and loving toward all he has made. In fact, the name the Lord reminds us about God's faithfulness. When you see it in English, it's in all capital letters. That's a reminder of an Old Testament name for God that sometimes is translated Yahweh or Jehovah. It's a reminder that God doesn't just make promises. He keeps promises. Every single promise that he makes, he keeps because the Lord is faithful. And God's made all kinds of promises, but they all start with the first promise, which was the promise of a Savior. Do you remember that? It was in the Garden of Eden, almost immediately after Adam and Eve broke their promise not to eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Right after, God told them that because they sinned, now work would be hard, and relationships would be hard, and life would be hard, and it would all end in death. Then he made the promise. He was actually talking to the snake, or the devil, and he told the devil that he was going to restore man's original relationship with God. When God created Adam and Eve, they were faithful, and loving toward him. The devil deceived them into hating God and loving him, and now God said that he would switch that back and he would put enmity or hatred between his people and the devil, and that an offspring of the woman, a a descendant of Adam and Eve, a human male child would crush the devil's head. It's the first promise of a Savior. A lot of people think that the Old Testament is just that. It's just old and not really relevant to life. But one of the main purposes of the Old Testament is to hear God repeat and reaffirm and fill in more details about that promised Savior. It happened again at the flood. The world had become so evil, had disappointed God to such a great degree that God destroyed the entire world with a flood. But he kept his promise alive by telling Noah to build the ark. And then when Noah and his family came out of the ark and God put the rainbow in the sky, God made another promise to never again send a worldwide flood. Later on, God called Abraham to follow him. Even though Abraham and his wife Sarah were both old and well past the years of having children and they didn't have any yet, God not only promised that they would have a son, but that through that son, their descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky. And Abraham is the forefather of the Jews, the nation of Israel. Later, God used Moses to remind his people that his Savior would sacrifice his own blood so that even death would pass over them. Moses, of course, delivered God's people from slavery in Egypt, a foreshadowing of the Savior who would deliver God's people from slavery to sin. We just recently heard in our study of Second Chronicles that God promised King David, one of his sons, would sit on the throne forever. And even after they again became so sinful that God sent them away, God promised to bring them back all so that he could keep his promise to send a Savior. 
the prophets told us that that Savior would be born in Bethlehem of a virgin, the holy Son of God, that he would make God's people holy and that he would suffer and pay for their sins. Every single one of those promises pointed to one person, and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus is proof that the Lord is faithful to all of his promises. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. The beginning of John's gospel reminds us that Jesus is the word by whom and through whom and for whom all things and all people in this world were made. But then John also tells us that the word became flesh. The eternal Son of God became human, the seed, the offspring of Eve. Jesus was also born within the nation of Israel. He's a Jew, therefore a descendant of Abraham. Jesus was born in the house and line of David, the royal king who would have the opportunity to sit on the throne forever. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of a virgin as the prophets prophesied and God promised. And Jesus is the only human being who has ever lived and kept every promise he made even to God. In eternity, Jesus promised his Father that he would live the holy life that God expected his people to live. And even though he lived a holy life, Jesus also promised that he would make payment, that he would sacrifice his blood so that death would no longer have to be the wages of sin, but rather death would pass over us and the gift of God would become, through death, eternal life. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died on a cross and fulfilled all of the prophecies and then he rose from the dead just to prove that God accepted his life and death on our behalf. Jesus ascended into heaven and now he promises that he will come back and he will judge the living and the dead. For whom did Jesus come? For the entire world. This is really the point of our three readings today. We're starting a a new series over the next few weeks. We'll learn about the kind of church that God wants. And today we learn that God wants a church for all people. And we're talking not just about a congregation like St. Paul's, but the holy Christian church, the communion of saints. And God sent Jesus to bring all people into his church. In the Old Testament, most of the Jews, by the time that Jesus was on earth, they thought that the Savior was only for them, right? Because in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel or the Jews, they were God's chosen people. Abraham, Moses, David, that was their history. Everyone else was called a Gentile. But even in Isaiah, 700 years before Christ was born, God said that foreigners would be invited to his holy mountain through his promised Savior. 
In Ephesians, our second reading, Paul reminds us that it's Jesus who broke down the barrier or the dividing wall of hostility that separated Jews and Gentiles. In the Old Testament, that was what we call the ceremonial law. It was the sacrifices, the priesthood, uh, the Sabbath days, the festivals, the, all of the dietary laws that they couldn't eat uh, pork and, and those kinds of laws. Jesus fulfilled all of those laws. He, he was the fulfillment of those promises and laws that pointed ahead to him. He also fulfilled God's, what we'll call the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And and so now we don't have to live a perfect life to get into heaven because Jesus did that for us, but he didn't do it just for the Jews. Rather, as Paul said in Ephesians, he wanted to bring the Jews and all of the rest of the nations of the world together into one church, one humanity. He called it God's family, God's kingdom, God's temple. And then Jesus proved it when he interacted with the Canaanite woman. Which is a pretty interesting, you can go home and read that again. This woman comes to Jesus and asks for help. Her daughter's demon-possessed and Jesus ignores her. The disciples are just annoyed so they want Jesus to send her away. The woman finally comes and kneels right down in front of Jesus and she begs, Lord, help me. And Jesus tells her it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. And he calls her a dog. She doesn't get offended like everybody would today. She simply acknowledges. She understands that the Jews were the chosen people and that Jesus was born as a Jew and he came first for the Jews. But she was okay with her low position as a dog. She simply begged that she would, like dogs in a house, get a few crumbs from the master's table. And Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. And he granted her request, proving that he came not just to cast out demons on earth, but to cast out sin, to cast out Satan from all people's lives. The Bible reaffirms this. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Which is why it's so sad that so many people of our world will spend eternity in disappointment. You realize that most of the people in our world have no idea who Jesus really is. They probably heard about him. They probably heard that he was a good guy, maybe a role model, a prophet, maybe even that he did some miracles. They don't know that he is the eternal son of God who became flesh. They don't know that he lived a perfect life and died on a cross and rose from the dead. And even when they do know, so many believe now that it's just a myth. They're constantly being told by some of the smartest people in our world that the Bible is not God's word, that it's written by men, it's full of errors, and just a crutch for people too weak to deal with life on their own terms. And even if they do believe it, so many, they don't think they need it. Like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, so many people in our world today, they want to look at themselves and they want to try to convince themselves and everybody else that they're good and that they've lived a good life and at the very best, they've done their best and so God should give them some credit for that. And they'll say things like, a loving God would never send anyone to hell. He will, but he doesn't want to. Which is why he calls us to repentance. Repentance another thing that people have confused in our world today. 
They said that if God wants a church for all people, then he should just accept everyone the way that they are. Well, on the one hand, God loves you regardless of the way that you are. On the other hand, God does not accept or tolerate sin. So, the point I was making at the time was simply that Jesus came for everybody, but not everybody knows. Not everybody thinks it's real. Not everybody believes they need it. And the last point I think I was making is simply that Jesus calls us to repentance. The perfect story to illustrate that is the woman who was caught in adultery. If you remember in the Old Testament, the punishment for that was death by stoning. And some of the Jewish leaders asked Jesus if he'd throw the first stone. He turned it back on them and said, well, if you have never sinned, you throw the first stone. They all walked away. And Jesus said, no one else has condemned you, neither do I. But then he said, go now and leave your life of sin. Because God is loving toward all he has made, he does not love us the way we are. Instead, he loves us in spite of the way we are. And then he calls us to repentance and he sends Jesus to take away our sin. And isn't that exactly what God did for you in your baptism? While we take great comfort in knowing that Jesus came to be the Savior of all people, it doesn't matter what language you speak or what food you eat or the color of your skin or the size of your body or how much money you have. Jesus came for all people, but in baptism, God made Jesus personal. God promised not just forgiveness for everybody else, but forgiveness for you. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in your heart, to wash away your sins, to make you holy. And he promised not just to forgive you one time, but every single day the rest of your life, which is why we treasure Holy Communion so much. Because you get, you get to come to the front of the church and God gives you forgiveness for your sins personally and individually. Your own piece of bread, your own sip of wine, which Jesus promises is his body and his blood. And then in Scripture, God continues to make promise after promise after promise. Jesus promises to be with you. Yes, with all of you, but also with each of you wherever you go. Jesus promises that he will provide even better than he takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. He promises, I don't think just one guardian angel, but a, a whole host of angels to protect you and watch over you. Jesus promises that even when you face evil, like a medical emergency, he will use that for your spiritual and eternal good. Jesus promises that one day he will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. That he will take you by the hand and bring you and show you your room in the Father's mansions, your seat at the heavenly banquet table. Jesus promises that one day he will raise your body from the dead and give you a new glorious body to live in the new heavens and earth that he creates. Yes, Jesus came for all. He also came for each. So agree or disagree? Your life is full of promise. Whatever you have in front of you, I pray that you're still holding on to hopes and dreams. You might never be a Disney princess or a superhero or a professional athlete, but you are a child of God. Jesus has already fulfilled the most important promise God ever made and that was to send a Savior. Every promise, every prophecy fulfilled in Christ. And because Jesus has already lived and died and rose for you, you can trust in all of God's other promises as well. 
Because the Lord doesn't just make promises, he keeps promises. The Lord is faithful to every promise and loving toward all he has made. And as long as you trust in the Lord, your life will always be full of promises. Amen.